We are uh, in the second week of a series called The White Elephant in the Room. Every December, our church takes two weeks to talk about money. Uh, Unapologetically, we talk about money because there is no issue, there is no topic that causes more pain and headache and emotional distress and sadness and joy in our lives than money. Isn't that true? Like it dominates our hearts, it dominates our minds. It it is, money is that big a deal. And, And obviously Jesus knew that because he talked about money more than any other topic while he was alive for three, well, he was alive for 33, but while he was teaching for three years and doing ministry, he talked about money more than any other topic, any other topic, more than any taboo sin or anything. He talked about money. And so we feel like that if, if it's that important to Jesus and we know that it's that important to us, why would we not come to church? Why would church not be the place where we come together and we talk about what the Bible has to say about it, all right? And so last week was all about giving. Last week was all about generosity and tithing, and we talked all about that, and we challenged those of you that this is your home church. If you're a guest, then, then we want you to kind of move at your own pace, but for those of us that this is our church, we challenge you like we do every December with a 90-day tithe challenge because God said, test me. In Malachi 3.10, he said, put me to the test. So every December, we do the same thing. We give you a 90-day tithe challenge. If you want to participate in that, there are cards in the back of the room. And really, honestly, for us, it's just a money-back guarantee. No gimmicks. We do say that there's strings attached to giving, but God pulls the strings, so that's good. Um, But we just say after 90 days of tithing, if God has not blessed you, we're going to give you your money back, all of it, uh, because God didn't come through, and uh, he always does. We've done it for a few years now, and nobody's ever... Uh, felt the need to get it back. So in the card's in the back there. Also, we told you last week about Financial Peace University. We want you to sign up for Financial Peace University if you're needing to get your financial life in order or you're just wanting to get more organized or you're wanting to go through it with somebody that you care about. You can sign up after service today in the back of the room. George and Julie Green will be back there. They lead our class, our FPU class. That starts January the 16th or 17th, whatever the Tuesday is. I just went blank for a second. But uh, at 6.30 here at the church on Tuesday nights, it's a nine-week course. We'd love for you to be a part of that, all right? So we are in the second week of this series, and today we are going to kind of broaden out a little bit and talk about some of the truths that the Bible teaches us about money. And here's what I know to be true, not because I'm some fancy, like, prophet magician. I just know it to be true because I'm a human being, and this room is filled with human beings, that a lot of us in here have some tough financial situations in our life currently that we are in right now. One-third of all Americans are delinquent uh, on their debt payments. The average American has $209,000 of debt. That includes mortgage. But take out the mortgage, and the average American has $15,000 in credit card debt. And we could keep going. The number one reason listed for divorce is, is financial hardship, financial pressure. I mean, we could keep going about all the ways that money is ruining and destroying our lives. Um, And I don't speak today as some type of person who is oblivious to that or doesn't relate to that. My wife, Andrea, and I have done so much stupid when it comes to money that uh, I would put it up against any of you. It would rival any of you. I mean, we I mean, at one point we we had so many overdraft fees at the bank when we first got married that when they saw me walking in the bank, like they were like going to the back like room. Nobody wanted to talk to Mr. Isaacs because he was going to try to figure out how to get out of an overdraft fee. Uh, we financed a car 
for eight, or 18% interest for 60 months. That's five years for those of you who don't know. We paid $22,000 for a $10,000 car. Yeah, we did that. And uh, let's see, what else? We got out of credit card debt a couple different times, got back into it. Um, we have had uh, lights shut off. We've had padlocks put on apartments because rent was paid from an account of a check that bounced. I'm telling you, we've done it, all right? And so, and so I just want you to know as we're talking today that over the last um, 12 years, that God has helped the Bible, living according to the Bible financially has helped my wife and I, my family and I, get from a place of absolute stupidity and embarrassment to a place now to where I feel like I can stand up here and teach with some integrity and some moral authority on, uh, on the issue of money. So that's what we're going to do today. Look at some truths the Bible gives us about money. And uh, what I hope it does is align us. A lot of us know true statements, but I don't believe that I don't know if we believe truth. And belief determines action. If I really believed with all of my heart that it was raining outside, I would get an umbrella because I believed it, it would change my actions. And so some of us in here, we may know or be able to repeat true statements, but we don't totally believe the truth that the Bible tells us about money. And so today, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you 10 truths, 10 biblical truths, 10 truths about money. This is going to be a little different sermon than I normally uh, give to you. It's going to be a little more straightforward, rapid fire. I'm going to give you these 10 truths. Also, scriptures are going to be up on the screen. I want to encourage you to write these down. All 10 may not apply to you, but some of them will. Maybe you want to type them in your phone, write them down on something, uh, because we don't know everything. And so God's going to teach us something today 10 biblical truths about money. All right, are you ready? I told you it's gonna be rapid fire, so just we're gonna be, here we go, 10 truths about money. Truth number one, these are not Jason's truths, these are God's truths, Bible truth. Truth number one about money. God is not opposed to you having money. Truth number one, the Bible teaches us that God is not opposed to you having money. And I wanted to lead with that one because I think sometimes we can get a little bit off base or we heard somebody pervert a truth or twist a truth or, you know, we got cynical about it or somebody told us that it was more spiritual to be broke or poor or whatever. I, I, I understand all of that and we're going to get to some other truths that counterbalance this. But I wanted to start right up front and just say, like, we don't need to feel awkward. We don't need to feel uncomfortable. You don't have to, like, twitch when the idea of, like, God and money comes up. It is completely okay, and the Bible teaches us that God wants to bless you. He wants to bless me. The Bible teaches that. So we don't have to be ashamed of that. John, uh, 2 John 3, 1 and 2 says, Beloved, I pray that in every way you may prosper. Everybody say every way. Every way. God wants you to prosper uh, physically, mentally, emotionally, financially, maritally, I mean, he wants you to prosper in every way. And how silly is it for us to believe that God wants us to prosper in every way, but not, but not in like a financial way. That's crazy, all right? So the Bible is filled with examples of people who were blessed financially. Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, David, we can keep going. Uh, Jesus was buried in the tomb of a man named Joseph. They borrowed the tomb from a wealthy businessman named Joseph. Paul stayed at a lady's house named Lydia in the book of Philippians. She was a business owner who had a nice house. Like, 
we do not have to be opposed to being blessed, which I know nobody in the room is opposed to being blessed, but we don't have to, you know, like go against the idea that God wants to bless us. So truth number one is that God is not opposed to you having money, but here, here, here's the key. God is opposed to money having you, okay? God is not opposed to you having money, but God is opposed to money having you, all right? Truth number two. Truth number two, God does not need your money. So I'm gonna give you these first two, and then we're gonna stop because the rest of other eight are built on these two, all right? So truth number one is God's not opposed to you having money. Truth number two is that God does not need your money. Maybe you've been in church or you've seen a preacher on TV or you have seen something on the internet and you've been guilted into being generous or you that what was taught to you was that, you know, poor God is up in heaven and he wants to build the kingdom or he wants to help some orphans. And, but if you don't give, then, you know, it's not gonna happen. That's not true about God. Everything belongs to God. It's all his. It's all his. Uh, let's see, uh, Psalm 50, 9 and 10 says, but this is God talking, but I do not need the bulls from your barns. Now, you probably don't own a barn or a bull, but we could just translate that to now. God said, I don't need the money from your bank account. All the animals of the forest are mine. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. So in other words, it all belongs to God. God never asks us or teaches us to give because he needs something from us. He always asks us or teaches us to give because he wants something for us. God does not want anything from you. He wants something for you. And so any teaching or anything in the Bible that is about you giving is all about opportunity. If then, propositions for you and for what God wants to do in your life. It's never because God can't do it without you. Because how many people know God can we just fine without you? He does teach us and instruct us to give, but it's never because he has to have our money. So let's stop for just a second and just start with these two foundational truths. God's not opposed to us having money or being blessed, right? You don't have to feel guilty for having some money. You're like, don't worry, I don't feel guilty, I have none. All right, and then number two, God doesn't need your money. So I'm gonna give you eight more, but they're gonna be built on that foundation that, that, that God wants to bless us and God is not guilting us to, to somehow squeeze us out of, out of money, all right? Here we go, truth number three, 10 truths about money to help us. Truth number three, more money will not make you happier. More money will not make you happier. I know when I say that, some of y'all are like, yeah, right, okay? It would make me happy. Maybe you're a, a country music fan and you've, uh, you've heard the song by Chris Johnson, Buy Me a Boat. You heard that? If you've never heard that, uh, the, the words say, I know everybody says money can't buy happiness, but it could buy me a boat. It could buy me a truck to pull it. It could buy me a Yeti 110 iced down with some silver bullets. Yeah, I know what they say, money can't buy everything. Well, maybe so, but it could buy me a boat. So maybe you feel that way this morning, that that's not true. But, but, but here's what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us in Ecclesiastes 5.10 that those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. Some of the most anxious Fearful people I know are wealthy people. Now, I know a lot of anxious, fearful, poor people too, so it's not 100% together. They're afraid they're gonna lose it. They're, they're anxious about, you know, how to keep it. 
if you are miserable now, more money will only magnify your misery. If you're unhappy now, more money will only magnify your unhappiness. And so it's easy to think that if I just had more money, I would be less stressed. No, no, if you constantly live with anxiety and stress, you are going to only magnify that level because the Bible teaches us that believing into the myth that that money buys happiness is wrong. So maybe you have said this or repeated this truth, but you don't honestly believe this truth in your heart because if you really believed it, it would change your actions. It would change your thoughts. And so we have to grab a hold of that truth today that money will not truly make us happier. It won't, it won't work. Truth number four, more money will not make you more generous. More money will not make you more generous. Maybe you've thought this before. If I had more money, I would give more money. Maybe when the Powerball jackpot lottery was like 1.5 billion, you're like, man, if I won the lottery, I'd give like 100 million to my church. I'd give like 100, I'd give 10 million to all my family members. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. Because that's not the way that greed works in our lives. I wrote about this when the the Powerball lottery was up, but let me just explain it to you. That's not the way greed, greed sneaks into our hearts. So it goes like this. So you hear that, you know, you could win a billion dollars, $1.5 billion. And you say, man, I would give, I'd give 100 million away. So you go to pick up your check, and in order to get the single payout, it's only 800 million. Only 800 million. So then you take it home, but you got to pay taxes on it. So we'll just, just for easy math, we'll say it's half, 400 million. You got to hire lawyers and you got to hire attorneys and all this stuff. And so let's just say when it's all said and done, roundabout, you're at 380 million. Now you promised to give away 100 million, but you've only got 380 million left. And you haven't bought anything you want to buy yet, upgraded anything you want to upgrade. And what begins to happen in your heart is now you thought you would never run out of money and you would be so generous, but now you begin to look at $380 million and it doesn't feel like enough. And you think, oh, that would never happen to me. When you're expecting $1.5 billion and you only have $380 million, then you have to write a check. You're going to feel the exact same way you feel right now with $38,000 because that's the way that generosity and greed counterbalance each other. Hebrews 13, 5, or, uh, Luke 16.10 says, if you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibility. That's never the way that it works. If you have a bad marriage now, more money will not fix your marriage. It will destroy it. If your kids are spoiled rotten now, more money won't fix it. It'll destroy them. If you are not generous with what you have now, more money will not make you more generous. I read this week that during the Great Depression, the average American gave away 3.3% of their income. Today, 80% of people give 2.5% or less of their income away. People were more generous during the Great Depression than we are right now. It's not about money, it's about heart. And so stop fooling yourself and accept the truth that the Bible teaches us that how I am now is exactly how I will be if I get more. All right? That's truth number four. Truth number five. Bible truths about money. Truth number five. You don't have to be rich to be greedy. 
Have you ever, have you ever looked at somebody who had money and you thought, they're just so greedy? They're just, oh, they're just in it for the money. They're, you know what? You are too. You just don't make as much, but you go to work for the money, right? You, you want more. And so sometimes it's easy to think that, that only wealthy people are greedy, but the Bible teaches us that Hebrews 13, 5 says, don't love money, be satisfied with what you have. No matter how much money you make, if you're not satisfied with what you have, that's discontentment and greed sneaks in and says, I just need more, I just need more, I just need more. Doesn't matter what it is. You could, maybe you can only afford a 20-inch TV, but then you see your buddy's 32-inch and you think, man, if I could just get a 32-inch TV, it's discontentment and greed and you have no money. It's not a rich people problem. It's an everybody problem. And the devil shows up in our life and he knocks on our heart and he says, like, you need more. You need more. You need to get more. And we begin to make decisions and compromise in order to get more or we never get it and we stay miserable and unsatisfied and discontent in our lives. So greed is not a rich people problem. Truth number six. Truth number six. God does not promise fairness. These are biblical truths about money. God does not promise fairness. This is, this is an interesting one because I think sometimes political, economical views can kind of uh, influence our theology. And it can sound spiritual to say, well, everybody should have the same and everybody should be even. That's not what the Bible teaches us about money. Matthew 25, 15, Jesus telling a parable says he called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one and two bags of silver to another and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. This is kind of a hard truth to embrace, but it is still truth. That God looks at my life and he says, I can trust Jason with this much. I could trust Clark with this much. I could trust Andrew with this much. I can trust David with this much. He doesn't look out and say, you know what? My plan is for everybody to have the same. Fairness is never promised by God. Thank God, because we don't want what's fair. We want grace and mercy. And so maybe you have sat back and you've resented people who have more than you. You say, well, it's not fair. That's not, maybe you've looked at people with money and say they can't love God or they're not spiritual enough or if they were spiritual, they would help more people or they would tip more or whatever it is. Here's what I've learned about my life. I'm never going to get to somewhere else until I can celebrate where I'm trying to go in somebody else. Does that make sense? So I want God to bless me, but if I can't celebrate someone else being blessed, I'm not ready to be blessed by God yet. And so if we find ourselves bitter and resenting and always wondering why other people have it better than us and why God is unfair to us, we're going to stay a victim and we're never going to be able to get maybe where God is trying to take us to. God does not promise us fairness. Rapid fire, here we go. Truth number seven. Wise people save money. Fools spend everything that they have. That's Bible language, Proverbs 21.20. The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Man, I, I can relate to this one so much. And, and, and I don't know about you, but let me just talk about me and preach to me. And then if it relates to you, you can, you know, this will help you out. But just so for me, it's so easy for me to blame everything else on why I have no money except myself. Let me tell you what the truth is. I have no money because I spent everything that I had. 
You say, well, no, Jason, you don't understand. I mean, I got to pay my rent. I got to pay my cell phone bill and I got to pay my car payment. I hear everything you're saying. Those are all choices that we made. And so as long as I stand back and I won't own my problem and I say, well, it's the bank's fault or it's AT&T's fault or it's my landlord's fault, I chose to live in that place. I chose to get that cell phone plan instead of the $17 plan down at the Dollar General that only has the three buttons on the phone. Could have had that one, but I didn't want that one. I I chose to have the pet. I chose to live in that place. My, My point is this is that until I'm able to stand back and say, the reason I don't have anything is because I'm spending it all, I'll never be able to solve or fix the problem. And the Bible teaches me that wisdom is to put away, it's to store, it's to save and not spend everything that I have. But man, when you get that direct deposit on Thursday at midnight, come on, anybody? It's like it's like Ruth Chris on Friday, you know I mean? Whatever it is. You know, it's just, it, there's something about saying, I got to have it now. I got to spend it now. The Bible says that's fool. That's foolishness. It's foolishness. Own your own mistakes. Own your own commitments. Figure out a way to make it better. Make it right. And put some money, put some money away. Everything that I'm spending my money on is a privilege. It's not a right. Vacation, it's a privilege. Nice things, those are all privileges. And if I'm running out of money, I need to figure out where in my life I need to say no. This is God's teaching. I need to figure out where in my life to say no so that I can be wise and put money away. That's truth number seven. Truth number eight, God blesses givers. God blesses givers. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10, give and you will receive Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine what you get back. That God blesses us when we give. He doesn't have to. You know that, right? Like, he does not have to. He could say, do it, or I'm going to punish you. He could say, do it, or bad things are going to happen in your life. But he chooses to give us if-then propositions. If you will give. I will bless you. If you bring to me what is mine, I will pour open a blessing from the windows of heaven. God wants to bless us, and he never asks us to give for what he wants from us. It's always what he wants for us. And that's why the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 9, 10, 9 and 7 that we should give what we decided in our heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. That God wants us to give excited and joyful because we get to give. I have four children. I have two daughters, eight and five. I tell all my stories about them because they're my favorite. Let's just call it what it is. That was, that was funny, the second, first service. Anyway, so, um, but no, Sadie and Nora are incredible. And what I, what I love about uh, being a parent and what I love about God is that... Um, he makes our children so differently, doesn't he? Parents, isn't that true? So Sadie, classic first kid pleaser, she's eight. When she gets any kind of birthday money or chore money, she wants to save it. She wants to put some away. When the time is right, we'll go to the store and she'll say, Dad, I want to buy some gifts. I'll get a little something for me, but I want to buy a gift for my sister and I'd like to buy a gift for my brothers and, and my friend at school. And, you know, she'll go around and she'll, you know, put herself last and it's incredible. And, ah, we're crying. She's so awesome, Whatever. All right, Nora, the five-year-old, 
She spends what she gets 30 seconds after she gets it all on herself. She says, no, I'm not buying anything for you, Sadie. Matter of fact, she got a late birthday card yesterday. I had $25 in. I said, you need to bring a couple of those $1 bills and give them to God at church. And she's like, okay, Dad. This morning I saw her. I was like, did you bring in that money to give to God? She's like, no, I'm not giving that to God. <laughs> love it. I love it, right? Two different kids. Listen, the feeling that, that all of us can relate to Nora, right? Like, we're not going to give. Or if we do give, it's very bitter or resentful, like, okay, fine, dad said I had to, here it is, take it, whatever, do what you're going to do with it, fine, I could have done so much more with that, but whatever, but God wants us to feel like Sadie in this analogy, like the, the feeling of joy and satisfaction that says I get to give, I get to invest, I get to, to, to buy and purchase treasures in heaven, you know that feeling that you felt if you gave to the Christmas project, the feeling you felt when you watched that video? God wants you to feel that way beforehand. Like I know as I'm giving that God's gonna be using this and I get to be excited about it and he's gonna bless me and all those reasons make me a joyful, a joyful giver. So God blesses givers. That's number eight. Truth number nine. These last two are a little bit tough. Truth number nine, borrowing money is not sinful, but debt is dangerous. This is biblical truths about money. Borrowing money is not sinful, but debt is dangerous. Proverbs 22, 7 says, Just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. Debt makes us a slave. It obligates us to someone. Let me, let me prove it to you. Anybody in here, you've ever let somebody borrow money and they promise to pay you back? And then when it's time to pay you back, they don't have it. And you're like, oh, it's no big deal. You don't have it. Just get it to me when you have it. Then you see on Facebook that, like, they just went on vacation or they bought a new iPhone 7, or they got front row seats to the Louisville game, and you're just watching their little life on your timeline, and you're thinking, where's my money, right? And that ever happened to anybody? Or you borrowed money from your parents, and so you stopped going around for dinner because you know they're going to ask about it. When we borrow money, we indebt ourselves, obligate ourselves to someone. And so now ours, what is ours is not ours anymore. It's someone else's. It's not sin. This is not a heaven or hell issue. This is not if you borrow money or you're in debt or you file bankruptcy, you're going to hell. That's not what this is about. This is about a biblical truth that says if you want to live in freedom, don't indebt yourself. If you want to live in freedom, don't, don't indebt yourself. And the Bible also teaches, we'll just call this like 9A, the Bible also teaches that if we do indebt ourselves, it's a responsibility of those who carry around the name of Christ to pay our debts, to pay our debts, to fulfill that obligation. And so the borrower is indebted. This is a biblical truth. The borrower is indebted to the lender, and you're no longer free. And, and so many of us in the room, we know what that feels like, don't we? We know what it feels like to not be free. We know what it feels like to dodge phone calls and to ignore people trying to get a hold of us or throw letters in the mail without even opening, the, opening them and and wanting to be able to do things that we cannot do because we are not, we are not free. Truth number 10, biblical truths about money. If you're able to work, you should work. If you're able to work, you should work. Second Thessalonians 3, 10 through 12 says, if anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. 
We hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting busy. Such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ. I love this like really fancy preface he gives. Such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work. In other words, he's like, get to work. Stop being a lazy bum. Get to work. So I'm not talking to those of you who are injured and you cannot work. I'm talking about, not talking about those of you who are retired, who have put money away. I'm not, this is not Jason making some sweeping statement. I'm talking to those of us in the room who can work but are still taking disability because it's easier than working. Those of us who are taking cash under the table because we don't want our unemployment to go away. Those of us who are sitting on the couch playing Xbox while our legs work and our families are broke. Talking to those of us that do those types of things. The Bible teaches us, if you can work, you work. That, there, that there's honor in providing for your family. That there's honor in, in providing and working and saving. And so if, if you have found yourself under crazy financial pressure, indebted yourself, stress and, and worry and one of the ways the Bible teaches us is to work, to put our hand to the plow, the Bible would say, to find a better job, to work towards more. And I'm not, please hear me, I'm not like, I understand that, that circumstances are how they are, and I, but I'm talking about taking ownership of, of our lives today and our financial situation, and the Bible teaches us, if I'm able to work, work. Some of the most depressed Unhappy, miserable people I've ever met are people who could work but don't. And some of the most satisfied, fulfilled people that I've ever met are people that even if they're working a grunt job or waking up early or standing out in the cold, the fact that they are producing brings some type of purpose and satisfaction to their life. I see it happen all the time. It's biblical. It's biblical. Wake up in the morning Go and do something with your life and come home and talk about it when you eat dinner with the people you love. That's how God created us. Ten biblical truths about money. They probably all don't apply to you, but some of them do. Let me give them to you real quick one more time. God is not opposed to you having money. God does not need your money. More money will not make you happier. More money will not make you more generous. You don't have to be rich to be greedy. God does not promise fairness. Wise people save money. Fools spend everything they have. God blesses givers. Borrowing money is not sinful, but debt is dangerous. And if you're able to work, you should work. We'll post these up on Facebook so that you can have them and, and you can continue to study about this and learn this. I really want to encourage you. We've already talked about Financial Peace University, these biblical truths that help us get our financial lives in order. I know that where you are is tough. I know that where you are is, is providing pressure and stress in your life. And here's what I know because I've lived it. And here's what I know because I believe it and, and read it and, and, and trust God. If you will align your life and your actions and your habits to God's principles and God's standard and God's teaching for money, it will change your life. And you really can find peace and joy and satisfaction in the financial area of your life. And it will spill over into every other area too. Haven't you found that to be true? That when money's tight, life is tight. 
but when life, when money is blessed, that life feels blessed as well. And so I know I gave you a lot of information, rapid fire, and a lot of scriptures today. If you wanna continue this conversation, I'd love to talk to you about it. Any questions you may have. We've got some really smart people that love Jesus and are smart with money in this church. We'd love to connect you to and to help you. But let's make a commitment together to, to live our lives according to God's truth, live our lives according to God's standard, not according to what our brother-in-law says, not according to what our dad says, but what God says about money, even when it's uncomfortable. A lot of times the Bible makes us feel good, but 2 Timothy also says the Bible is useful for teaching and rebuke. And so there are sometimes we read it and we're like, ooh, okay, that's me, he's talking to me. And I gotta align my life to that, all right? I love you and I'm praying for you. And in just a second, I'm gonna pray for you again that our lives will be aligned to God's truth. Let's pray, bow your heads.